We're in a series of lessons called As You Go, based on the ISV translation of Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. As you go, disciple the nations. And we're in a subcategory of that called Follow the Master Disciple Maker. We're looking at the life of Jesus as the ultimate disciple maker from the Gospel of Matthew. And what I'm asking you to do each week is simply to read one chapter in the book of Matthew. This week it was chapter 3. Only about 17, 18 verses. Real short little chapter there. And I'm encouraging you, read it every day or maybe a couple of times a day. It it takes you about three minutes, four minutes, depending on how quickly you read. And what you will discover, if you will prayerfully do that, are the things that God brings to your mind. God speaks through his word. The Holy Spirit opens our mind to his word. I'm constantly amazed that, wow, Didn't see that, didn't think about that, didn't realize that needed to be said. I had to come in this morning and change my sermon. Because just yesterday, I'm like, oh man, Les, how did you miss that? And I had to go back and and, and put another point in. I'll not tell you which one because I'm embarrassed about it. But anyway, you know, I think it was the point about Jesus. You know, Jesus is the center. No, that's not it. But uh, please be reading through this little uh, uh, journal Bible, taking notes, taking notes during the lesson. Bring it. Make sure your name's in it. There's 700 floating around, okay? You lose one, you'll probably have to pick up a new one. All right, we are jumping fast forward from Matthew 2 last week, almost 25 years to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew doesn't tell you that. You you finish up with chapter 2, and then all at once John the Baptist shows up, and you're like, okay, what just happened? And what happened was we fast-forwarded from when Jesus was about two, maybe three years old, to when John the Baptist breaks out preaching the gospel in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 3. It begins with these words. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Matthew doesn't tell us who John the Baptist is. Everybody in his day knew John the Baptist. It'd be like me getting up and saying to y'all, by the way, I don't know if y'all know this or not, Elvis Presley came from Mississippi. Y'all would say, we already know that. Okay, great. You know, I mean, all you got to do is mention the name Elvis, and everybody knows who you're talking about. You know, Frank Sinatra, John Wayne, you got all these famous people. You just mention their names, and everybody knows who they are. That's the way it was in Matthew's day. Everybody knew John the Baptist. And John shows up preaching in the wilderness of Judea. I mean, all at once, here's this guy coming out of nowhere... And he starts preaching. But it's what he's preaching that shakes everyone up. Now, if you want to know about John's birth, go back to Luke 1. I mean, if you want to know where did John come from, who was his parents, what tribe did he originate from, go back to Luke chapter 1 and you'll see that, okay? And so we go on in the text and notice what he's preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We read that and go, okay, so what? We already know that. But you need to understand that in the first century, every Jew, whether you're in Judea, Galilee, or scattered among the nations, every Jew was anticipating that message. Every Jew knew that it was time for God to do something amazing in the world. And the reason they knew that is because of a little book in the Old Testament called Daniel. In the first century, Daniel was one of the favorite books of all the Jews. And the reason was because it had predicted something would come true in their day. 
You turn back to Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Daniel's interpreting a dream by Nebuchadnezzar. And in that dream, he says, listen, there's four kingdoms that are coming. The Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, and then eventually the Roman Empire. And notice what he says, in the time of those kings, in the time of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. I want you to look at the language there, going back to what John's preaching. The God of heaven is setting up a kingdom. In the New Testament, called the kingdom of God, or the kingdom in Matthew's gospel of heaven. Okay? You see where they get the language. He goes on to say it'll never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. In other words, God's people is the one it belongs to. It will crush all of those kingdoms, bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. And here we are, 2,000 years later, a part of it. Clyde, as he was leading us in the thoughts of communion this morning, was talking about us as a church. Clyde, it's not just us as a church. It's us as the kingdom of God all around the world today, taking that bread, drinking that cup. Why? Because we are the kingdom of God. And so he announces this kingdom is now starting and everybody gets excited about it. And then he explains, Matthew does, who this guy is. This is the one who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. One of the songs that Blake just led us in had that line in it. Prepare the way of the Lord. Blake, was that intentional? Uh, okay. Blake's like, God, God knew it was intentional. Make straight paths for him. One of the things that Matthew's going to do is he's going to take Isaiah. He's going to take Malachi. Isaiah 40, Malachi chapter 3 and 4. And he is going to bring those texts together to say this is who John the Baptist is. Now, you need to know something. John knew those texts like the back of his hand. John knew those texts were about him. And so when Matthew writes, this is to fulfill what Isaiah, that's because John's out there preaching, I am that voice that Isaiah predicted 800 years earlier. And notice again the language, prepare the way for the Lord. Lesson number one, if you write these down, it helps to prepare the way before calling people to follow Jesus. I I don't know if you're like me, but I used to think that when Jesus called the apostles, you know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, you know, if, if you're reading Matthew's gospel, it appears that Jesus just comes walking by the Sea of Galilee one day. Here's the apostles out there fishing, they're fishermen, and Jesus says, by the way, guys, follow me. And these guys, like a bunch of zombies, put their nets down, get out of their boats, and just follow Jesus blindly. No, not the way it happened at all. You see, all of these guys had been disciples of John. They'd gone down to Judea. They'd been baptized by John. They had listened to John preach. They knew the Messiah was coming. In fact, they were there when Jesus came to be baptized. And John said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So that when Jesus walked by their boats and said, guys, they already knew who he was. Why? John had prepared the way. Now, if John needed to prepare the way for Jesus, y'all, we need to prepare the way for the gospel of Jesus as well. I, how many grow gardens in here? Anybody grow gardens like in your flower beds or things like that? Anybody? Handful? 
man alive, where'd all of our farmers go? I still like to grow things. Now, I'm terrible at it. June will tell you, he's terrible. You know, I spend far more trying to grow vegetables than if we went to the store and just bought the vegetables, okay? I'm, I'm admitting that. But it's getting close to growing time. I know that because the buttercups are coming up, right? Trees are starting to bloom. I mean, I'm sitting there going, all right, here we go. It's time to get the ground ready. And you've got to prepare it. And, and the same is true for planting the Word of God. The, the soil's got to be prepared. And if there's one lesson we learn right off the bat from Matthew 3 is that if we're going to plant the seed of God in the lives of people, we've got to prepare them for that. I'll talk about an easy way to start that here in just a few moments. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. You go back to 2 Kings 1.8, and you can't miss who he looks like. He's Elijah. I mean, he is Elijah. I remember 30-plus years ago, June's going to get a part for one of the cars we had that, that had broken down. And, and she went to a junkyard, and I could tell you where, and a bunch of you would say, I've been there before. And she comes back with a part, and she said, by the way, I know where Elvis disappeared to. And I said, really? And she said, oh, yeah, he's working down there at that junkyard. And sure enough, I go back to get another piece, and there he is. I mean, he's, I mean, it's Elvis Presley, and you're like, wow. Sometimes you don't miss someone when they show up. They couldn't miss this guy. So here's John preaching the kingdom of God, predicted by Daniel, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, dressing like Elijah, and by the way, fulfilling the prophecies of Malachi chapters 3 and 4. And I, that's all it took. Look at what the text says. People went out to him from Jerusalem, all Judea, the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. I mean, these people start flocking out there. Why? All the signs. I mean, if you read the Bible, you're like, this guy's fulfilling all of them. And so here they come. And of course, he's telling them, you need to be immersed. Now, you need to understand something about this immersion. Jews were immersed all the time. A lot of people don't realize this. You see, if you go to the synagogue, before you go to the synagogue, you've got to be immersed. You go to the temple, before you go into the temple, you've got to be immersed. You touch something dead before you can, you know, uh, interrelate with other people, you know, get, get with other people, you've got to be immersed. I mean, ceremonial cleanness was huge to the Jews, and they did it all the time. Most of the wealthier families had baptistries in their houses so that they could be immersed before they headed to the synagogue. And then here comes John. But he's immersing in a different way. I want you to look at Mark, and this, by the way, is from the Tree of uh, Life version, a Messianic Jewish version. I love this translation. In certain areas, it does a great job. John appeared immersing, translates the word baptizo like it should be, John appeared immersing in the wilderness, proclaiming an immersion involving repentance for the removal of sins. This would have blown any Jew's mind in the first century. Every Jew knew how to get rid of sins. And it's not by immersion. You get rid of sins by going to the temple. You get rid of sins by offering either a goat or a lamb or a bull or two pigeons or two doves, whatever the sin was. Based on what the sin was, the book of Leviticus told you what to offer. 
And so every Jew knew how to get rid of sins until John the Baptist shows up and says, there's a new way. What? I don't have to sacrifice a goat? No. I don't have to give up a lamb? No. I just now need to be immersed based on repentance? Yes. And you want to talk about blowing everyone's mind? Folks, immersion based upon repentance for the remission of sins was just unheard of, unprecedented. I mean, where do you get off saying this? And by the way, who do you think is going to get upset when you tell people you don't have to go to the temple and sacrifice animals anymore? I suspect the Sadducees who are running the temple are like, what? But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was being baptized, where he was baptizing. Now, by the way, these guys are not coming to be baptized. That's not why they're there. These guys are coming because they're the morality doctrine police. That's what they are. And by the way, that's lesson number two. There's always going to be people who are going to judge us, who are going to judge you, whether or not you're doing it right, whether or not you've dotted every I, whether or not you've crossed every T, whether or not you're living the standard you're supposed to be living, there's always going to be people who are going to be there pointing out your flaws. And folks, can I just go ahead and tell you that you can't live up to the morality police standards? Can't be done. I mean, if you're as old as I am, you remember some of these policemen. Y'all remember when they used to check your hair to see how long it was before you could wait on the table? Y'all remember that one? So y'all remember that. Y'all remember if you didn't wear a coat and tie, you could not serve on the table? Some of y'all remember that. I mean, I remember if you didn't read from the right translation, you're not reading scripture that Sunday. I mean, we've always had these guys. And by the way, they exist not only in Christianity. How many of y'all have heard of Masa Amini? Have y'all seen her? If you don't know who she is, she's a Kurdish Muslim who lived in Iran who didn't wear her head covering just right. And Iran has what's called morality police. Your dress is too short, too tight, your head covering's not right. Guess what they do to you? What they did was her was beat her up, put her in the hospital until she died. And it's caused just an uproar in Iran. It's time to get rid of the morality police. Well, they're always going to be here, folks. Now, the reasons these are coming is because the leaders in Jerusalem are upset at John's preaching. Look at what John says. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders, in other words, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the big senate there in Jerusalem's like, who is this guy and why is he preaching this message? Y'all go out and notice they sent priests and Levites. Just a real quick trivia question. Anybody want to guess which tribe John was from? Levite. Anybody want to guess whose family he was from? Aaron's. You see, Zachariah's dad's a priest. He had served there in the temple. That's where he was when Gabriel appeared and said, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. I mean, here's a guy that the Levites and the priest are going where in the world did he come from? And where does he come off preaching this kind of message? And so here they come. And of course, they get there and he says, listen, I'm not the Messiah. If that's what you're looking for, I'm not him. And they fired right back and they said, then who are you? Are you Elijah? 
And, and of course, you go back again. Malachi 4, 5 predicted Elijah would come. Are you Elijah? John says no. What's fascinating is that Jesus will later say yes. And you're like, did not John not know who he was? And my guess is one of two things. Either he didn't have full revelation as to who he was, or he's, like, he's saying, I'm not the literal Elijah. Yes, I'm coming in the style of Elijah, but if you're expecting me to be Elijah himself, that's not who I am. One of those two most likely is what he means by this. Then they said, well, then are you the prophet? The prophet was one that Moses had predicted would come, which, of course, is Jesus himself. He says, no, I'm not the prophet. You need to give us an answer. Who are you? And John had had enough. One thing about John is he wasn't afraid to speak his mind. Y'all look at what he says to them. You brood of vipers. You nest of snakes. You rattlesnakes. That's all you are. Who warned you? to flee from the coming wrath. You need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance because you haven't repented like God is calling you to. And boy, the religious leaders were like, what? And then he says, let me tell you something. Don't you think you can claim Abraham as your father? I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. You see, the problem with the Jewish leadership, if you ask them, how do you know you're God's chosen people? Their response was always, we're descendants of Abraham. In fact, if you turn over to John 8, Jesus gets in a fight with them. And the fight's over whose father Jesus is, as opposed to whose father there is. They are. And Jesus says, by the way, you're of your father, the devil. And they fire immediately back, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if he was, you'd be doing what Abraham did. But you're not. And so John just literally takes them on and says, you guys need to repent. Because the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down. And you're going to be thrown into the fire, folks. By the way, where does this language come from? Malachi chapter 4. I mean, the passage about John. Notice, surely the day is coming. It'll burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every, every, every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root, axe is already there, or a branch will be left to them. I mean, John's just laying it out. And he says, it's time for you to make a change. As for me, I immerse you in water for repentance. But the one coming after me, the Messiah you're looking for, is mightier than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will immerse you in the Ruach HaKodesh. Now again, this is the TLV. This is a Jewish translation. The Ruach HaKodesh is, Ruach is spirit. HaKodesh is the holy. So it's the Holy Spirit. And so you get this promise of one coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me say a word about this. For those of us who grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, we grew up in a time where churches of Christ were in a big debate with Pentecostal churches. And one of the big issues of the debate is what does the Holy Spirit do in the life of the believer? 
And you had people like Oral Roberts going around who was holding these big healing services and people were claiming to be able to speak in tongues and to raise the dead and open the eyes of the blind, make the lame to walk, all those types of things. And these debates raged between our fellowship and their fellowship. The way we approached this debate was to do something that we've often done. I mean, the best way to to make sure that you don't abuse the Holy Spirit is just get rid of the Holy Spirit. And we pretty well just threw the Holy Spirit out the window. I remember being taught as a kid growing up that there were only two groups of people who were baptized with the Holy Spirit. The apostles on the day of Pentecost on the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. That's what I was taught. I don't know what you were taught. That's what I was taught. If you were taught that, I want to challenge you to rethink that. I believe that which I was taught at that time was absolutely wrong. I mean, not only was it wrong, but we basically took the lifeblood out of the church by removing the indwelling of the Spirit of God. I mean, when you turn over to Acts chapter 2, when when they're looking at all that was going on because of the outpouring of the Spirit, what is this? These men are surely drunk. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. Now, to think that it was 12 apostles in the household of Cornelius kind of makes all people a little small, right? I mean, it doesn't make sense. And what we don't realize is that what this is a fulfillment of is the prophecies of the Old Testament of God not only pouring out His Holy Spirit, but putting His Spirit in us. I mean, that was the promise of Jesus to the apostles. The Spirit that has been with you shall be in you. And Jesus becomes kind of this first example of that. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, let each one of you be immersed. Again, the TLV, in the name of the Messiah, Yeshua. Look for two reasons, for the removal of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. So lesson number three is God's promised Holy Spirit is the game changer for the Christian. I believe that with all of my heart. I think one of the biggest mistakes made by the church of a generation ago was taking the very power of the church out of the church, which is the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to reclaim the promise of God that he made all those years ago and fulfilled on Pentecost. So Jesus comes, and and we get to what is just absolutely so essential here. He comes to be baptized. Now, John knows right off the bat he's got a problem. His baptism is for the remission of sins. And Jesus, what? Has no sins. Not only that, he's the Messiah. John knows this. So look at what John says. I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus says something to him. Now this is, uh, by the way, if you go back, notice the promise from Malachi 3. I'll send my messenger, John, who will prepare the way before me in the form of Jesus, Then suddenly the Lord, Jesus, you are seeking, will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant. Clyde was up here talking about the new covenant in Luke chapter 22. There's the messenger of the covenant. That's Jesus, whom you desire will come. John knew this. I mean, these are verses that are embedded in his very DNA. And so he says, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. And who can endure the day of his coming? Why? Because he will be like a refiner, like like launderer's soap. 
And look in particular what it says. He'll set as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Either they will come around or they will be thrown into the fire. And that's the message. And so Jesus said, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. I really like Eugene Peterson's The Message on this one. This, is, this one has been debated for years. What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? Look at Peter's, uh, Eugene Peterson's translation. Do it. God's work, putting things right, all of these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. So John did it. He baptized Jesus. An event that I cannot overemphasize. Of all the passages on baptism in the, in the New Testament, nothing even gets close to this one. The baptism of Jesus is the ultimate example for all of us. His coming out of the water. I don't know if you can see at the top, the descending of the Holy Spirit. The voice of God speaking from heaven. This becomes, and, and I just started looking for words. This is our example. This is our archetype. This is our paradigm for, for, you know, coming into the kingdom of God. He is the prototype. He is the president. Jesus basically says, I'm going to show you the way. And what I experience, with the exception of forgiveness of sins. You see, we get an added benefit. Our sins are washed away. We experience what Jesus experienced. And I want you to look at what he experienced. After being immersed, Yeshua rose up out of the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God. The Ruach Elohim descending like a dove and coming upon him. And by the way, when we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ or buried in baptism based on repentance, that same Spirit comes upon us. And indwells us, comes within us, begins the work of sanctification in our lives. It empowers us with the power of God. That's why the Spirit is so very important. You go back to John seven thirty nine, and you have John describing how that, that did not happen until Jesus had ascended back to heaven. Notice, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive, later, During Jesus' earthly ministry, only he received the Spirit. But near the end of his ministry, he says, the Spirit will be given. Notice what he says. Since Jesus had not yet been glorified, it had not been poured out. But if you turn over to Acts chapter 2, you have that pouring out of the Spirit. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and here. And so we receive this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we have some words that I wished every one of us could have read over us when we're baptized. God speaks from heaven and he says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And the last two lessons that we get here is, first of all, God saying to us, when we come up out of the water, this is my son, this is my daughter. If you have children, you know what it's like to introduce one of your children as your son or your daughter. It's one of the most incredible things in the world. 
I mean, you want to talk about June beaming in her face? Watch her introduce one of her kids. Six foot tall, you know. I mean, everybody looks at my boys and go, where'd they get that height? Wasn't from my side of the family. It was from June's side. June's dad was like eight foot nine. At least that's what he appeared to me a long time ago. I mean, he makes Joe down here look small. June's dad did. He was a big man. This is my son and my daughter. Through the conversion experience, we, we become God's children. And because we become God's children, I mean, we have this right because of faith in Jesus Christ, John said. He's, he loves us. And he's well pleased with us. I think every child wants to hear two simple things from their parents that changes their lives. I know I did. They want to hear, number one, that they're loved. And number two, that their parents are proud of them. A lot of us never heard that. I knew my dad loved me. He just came from a generation couldn't say it. I wanted to hear him say it. Never heard him say it. Not that I remember. And, and, and it's just sometimes we, we come up in generations where it's hard for us to do things that when we look in the Bible, we see God doing for his son. If God needed to do it for Jesus, if the son of God needed to hear that he was loved and that his father was pleased with him, don't you think our kids need to hear that? I know I need to hear it. God loves us and is proud of us as his children. I mean, Peter would say it this way in 2 Peter. We've been invited to participate in the divine nature. That last line right there. God's invited us into his family. And then the part I love is in Hebrews 2 that says the one who is holy and who makes us holy, we're of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And so as you, as you leave today, let me challenge you with these quick challenges. Number one, this week, read Matthew 4, all right? Number two, continue to pray for those in Hendersonville and Sumner County who don't know Jesus. Pray in general, pray specific, whatever you need to pray. Make this a part of your daily prayer life. Number three, this is the little bit more difficult one. Begin preparing the way this week by learning someone's name. This is my personal challenge to each one of you this week. Now, I'm not talking about somebody here at church, okay? I mean, let's just face it. If we started wanting to learn people's names, it'd take us several years just to get everybody here at church. Now, I'm talking about a next-door neighbor. I'm talking about somebody you see every day getting in their car as you're leaving home. I'm talking about the person down the office from you. I'm talking about the person you see at the grocery store. Just learn someone's, and I mean learn their name, so that every time you see them, you can call them by name. That simple act will have a profound effect in opening the door. And then number four, keep reminding yourself this week that God loves you as his own child, and he's proud of you, because he is. We're going to offer the invitation different. We mentioned this last week. We've got shepherds who are getting up right now to head to the sides. We have shepherds up at the top as well. Look for one of the shepherds. They'll have shepherd on their names. Kenneth's getting up right now. Uh, up here is John. We see Rod up here in this side. Go to one of our shepherds. Jeff's heading back to the back. And if you've got a prayer request, you have a need of any kind, if you'd like to be baptized, I mean, their wives, Glenn, 
uh, is heading out right here. Their wives are going with them. Just go and say, would you pray with me? They'd be honored to do that. I'd like to be baptized. They'll set it up. Go right now. As together we stand and sing.